Greetings, friends. This is Why Whiskey, a history podcast with a whiskey problem. Or is it a whiskey podcast with a history problem? We'll let you decide. Head on up to the bar, grab a stool and a drink, and let's talk. questionable life choices and this is why whiskey i want to thank you all for coming out to spend some time with me today i greatly appreciate it before i get into the topic of the evening i need to give a shout out to a supporter of the show i have known this wonderful lady for a couple years now and have had the pleasure of meeting her and her husband i even got the opportunity to throw her son out of an airplane a time or two uh, he's still around. He's still healthy and well. Actually, he just graduated and commissioned the Military Academy at West Point this past weekend, which gave us the opportunity to see them once again and spend some time with their tribe. And let me tell you, we were, as we always are when it comes to these folks, so very blessed just to be around them. So, Andrea, from my family, from those of us here at Y Whiskey, just want to give you a big shout out, tell you we love you all, and cheers. Now, let's get to it. Tonight's show is going to put us out to sea on a boat with some sailors, like real ones, not like notional sailors, like we're going to be joined by actual sailors, as we talk about some of the history of the United States Navy. Joining me to talk about the Navy and all of its deck-swabbing shenanigans, our fellow service members. Now, before my Army folks get all hot and bothered, yes, they are in the Navy. However, we're not going to hold that against them because I hear sailors like that kind of thing. Weird. Uh, they are, however, the hosts of the E14 podcast, The Sailor's Voice, a fantastic show that covers topics ranging from service-specific subjects to mental health to whatever happens to cross their desk. With over 40 years of service combined, this powerhouse duo of Texas might and Southern charm bring laughter, education, and a life on the sea to podcast platforms across the world every week. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Jamie and Heath Britt. My friends, welcome to Why Whiskey. Thank you so much. We're so happy to be here. Thanks, man. I like that Southern charm thing. Thank <laughs> you for that. I want to thank you for something else too, real quick. Thank you for recommending Whittle Jane to uh, to us because I got that for my birthday. And it's awesome. It's almost gone, like over halfway gone already. It's, it's one of my favorites. Uh, their distiller, Lisa Wicker, is unbelievable her history alone is just she has this cr crazy history of whiskey she's worked for everybody she actually is one of the distillers that fired up the distillery at mount vernon uh, after the, they found it not too long ago they kicked it all back up and she was uh, a part of the project with dave pickerel uh, another distiller i talk about a lot on the show and the two of them like restarted george washington's distillery there at mount vernon 
Wow. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. It's crazy. She, I, anyway, she's, she's awesome. Uh, wonderful, wonderful lady who's done uh, a crazy amount of stuff and she makes phenomenal whiskey. <laughs> so yeah, I'll attest to that. Yeah. yeah it's great <laughs> stuff. So I'm, I'm stoked that you guys are here. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited. I really enjoyed the time that we got before to chat. And, uh, and so I'd, I had to have more, I had to have more. And I figured I haven't done any sort of Navy stuff on the show yet because we are a, a beat Navy household. That's kind of our thing. <laughs> so I, I am honored that y'all took time out to, uh, to come join me here on the, on the show. Well, Navy history is really intriguing and really neat. And a lot of people don't realize that we came from pirates, you know? Yeah. So it's just kind of a cool avenue to. We're to... a bunch of outlaws. True. We are outlaws. Yeah. Wild for sure. For sure. <laughs> Without a cause. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Ian, real quick. Yes. Two times y'all beat us in the last 20 years. So don't get big head. Uh, I believe that's four, boss, uh, oh, okay. in 20 years. Right. But yeah. Navy math. Yeah, right. <laughs> we're, we're very proud of those four. So <laughs> leave us leave us alone. And three of those happened while we were living at West Point. So I think, you know, the oh, lucky cool. streak came with us when we moved there. So that's true. Hey, right. Awesome. So this is our year. Yeah. Yeah. Last year was your year, too. But we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> it's all good. So. Whiskey, let's go. I'm thirsty. Let's Good. drink. Uh, so too. we are starting off this evening with a Irish whiskey, actually. It's uh, Red Breast. It comes out of the Middleton Distillery. It is a blend of malted and unmalted barley. It comes in at 80 ABV. It is 12 years old. It is beautiful and lovely. And it is one of the whiskeys that I have in my notes that has the note buttery on it. So... Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, that's Jamie's jam. There's going to be a theme in the whiskeys because the last time uh, Heath and Jamie and I uh, sat down and we talked about whiskey, we talked about buttery notes. And so we're we're going to go for, for hopefully, uh, I remember, because my palate's been super fucked up lately, like super fucked up. So <laughs> <laughs> I've been sick and then not drinking. And then uh, anyway, so I, I went off of my notes instead of my taste. And uh, I think that's it. So let's uh, let's go. Cheers, friends. Cheers. Cheers. We got fancy glasses for this episode, Ian. They're awesome. I love them. That's smooth. Redbreast is awesome. It's one of my one of my favorite Irish whiskeys. Uh, it's one of my favorite whiskeys, probably in my top ten. Uh, and we're gonna we're actually gonna be going into a, a different version of Redbreast here in a little bit too. But it has oh. that just super thick kind of gooey cookie taste to it that I just I love. It's really good. No, I love it. Hey, I'm gonna give me some of this. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't bite at the beginning like some of them do, you know? And the whiskeys we're drinking tonight shouldn't have much of a bite. So we were a little bit low on the proof and uh, a little bit warmer on the flavors as we as we sip through. That's good for Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> Weakling. All right. Well, let's, let's get after it. So it. the Navy, right? We, the Navy starts... During the Revolutionary War, we go all the way back to October 13th of 1775 when the Second Continental Congress passes a resolution to stand up the Continental Navy. Now, it's weird at this time because the picture we have of today's Navy with these gigantic, massive metal ships that just have ungodly amounts of firepower is not quite the same thing. <laughs> no, it's a tad different. These boats are little, and they're driven yeah. by the wind. Uh, yeah, they have yeah. some guns on them. 
and uh, and and they're not not these massive fighting forces that we think. And I found it very interesting that the very first mission of the Navy wasn't to go out and fight the Brits, who had a, a pretty outstanding Navy. They they were right. sent on a scavenger hunt. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so George Washington says, "All right, we need stuff. Go get us stuff." Pillage, plunder. Yeah, for real. And <laughs> yeah. so they took a trip down to the Bahamas, found a whole bunch of stuff that had been staged there, snag like snag it all up, and they start coming back to New York. And then a uh, great. A funny story with with how that kind of came back. So they come back to drop it off, and then they find these other like three British ships that happen to just be in the area. So they they go after them and they take all their shit too. <laughs> We're literally just freaking robbing people, and and, and it was wonderful, uh, you know. And it was all to get supplies for the ground war. So it was really more of a a logistical thing, uh, more so than. Uh, than a, a strategic or tactical thing, and I, I thought that to be to be very interesting that the start of right. it came from that. Definitely, you know, Ian. I'll say that um, that is part of our culture today, but yeah. we don't call it pillaging or plundering. We just call it acquiring things. So we're <laughs> very good at finding things, finding stuff. Right. The inception of the navy reminds me kind of like when these criminals uh, get caught, and then to to help them beat their time, they start working for the cops, you know, you know, like, like <laughs> work, catch me work can kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So these guys are a bunch of outlaws and they, they have a, like, like on uh, the show, the movie with Liam Nielsen, uh, Nielsen, um, catch me. Um, I have a particular set of skills. Yeah. 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 I forgot the name of the movie offhand, but, uh, that's kind of, they had a particular set of skills and stealing was, was high on that list. Yeah. <laughs> Pirates, you know, I, I love that. I and and I got to be honest with you, the whole seafaring has its own language, it has its own culture, and we're going to get into that here uh, later on in the evening, um, it, because I I need some some education from y'all on that stuff it, that I simply don't understand. Uh, anything <laughs> that has to do with ground stuff uh, and terminology and all that, it I can do, which means I can talk to Air Force folks, and we kind of talk the same, and I can talk to Marines. Well, we don't talk the same. My words are bigger than theirs. But um, generally, we're talking about the same things. Uh, but, man, when you sit down and I have a conversation with, with Navy folks, um, it's, it's like Chinese and, I don't know, German. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Like, right. It's a, yeah, definitely. It's totally different dialect. And, uh, right. And so as I'm, I'm doing my research and I'm reading all these things, I, there's these terms that are coming across. I'm, I, I Googled so much shit because I had no <laughs> idea what the hell they were talking about. <laughs> Another half of the Navy during the, the Revolutionary War doesn't get built on the ocean, uh, which I, I also thought was kind of weird. So Benedict Arnold, when I say that name, what, is, what comes across? He's the, uh, he's the traitor, supposedly. Yes, uh, 100%. Yeah, no, absolutely traitor. Uh, yeah. Cool, cool side story. We're having a rather large thunderstorm right now, so I'm going to let that thunder. Oh yeah, I heard it. Yeah, kind of yeah. rumble through until it's done. There we go. Uh, cool. Interesting story about him is he actually tried to give the military academy over to the Brits because it's on this really beautifully tactically uh, positioned point on the Hudson, mm -hmm. which was where the whole trader thing. Now it built up to that. He was looked over for promotions and all this other stuff, and. He, uh, he did end up leading British troops against the revolutionary fighters uh, during mm -hmm. that time, which was crazy. But before all that went south, uh, he built a fleet of boats on Lake Champlain 
and uh, again, the Navy 2.0 for that time. And that was all to protect the, the Brits from coming down the Hudson. The Hudson River was kind of like this. They were trying to protect it because if they could get ships in through Canada, they would be able to supply their folks in New York and it would have been way worse. Yeah. Because we did have some defenses along the coast that were preventing them from going. So there uh so he built a fleet, uh 12 ships in all on the well, on Lake Champlain and and defended it well, uh, allegedly. I think most of them sank. Mm-hmm. But uh, but he did the best he could with what he could. Right. I, I see John boats. You know what I mean? Like dudes with muskets yeah. on row, like rowing boat. You know, so like here come the the farmers because at that point in time, <laughs> like legit, like these are dudes who just literally got pulled off the farm, uh, given right. a gun, and now we're we're fighting. So it's <laughs> I, or pulled out of church or wherever yeah. where they get people from. You know, seriously, it was it was uh, it was crazy. Yeah, the uh, farmer cavalry. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Rowing, row, row, row in your boat. (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask you this. Uh, During uh, in dock time, um, you know, uh, when you're first joining, um, does does the Navy have a robust like education program? Do they do they go into history? Is that is that a big deal for the Navy? We do learn about all of the pivotal wars that have involved the Navy, like the War of uh, the Battle of Coral Sea. Right. Um, we, you know, those those are big, big things that we have to learn. Big pivotal points. Right. And then when uh, I tell you what, when you get selected for Chief E Seven in the Navy, you go through this induction period, right? Um, where you, it's a humbling experience, but. But they ask you a lot of questions. They ask you about your history. You have to know it. If you don't, you're going to do a lot of push-ups or uh, you got to have the answer, you know. So the big thing that they like to hit on in chief season was the War of 1812. Okay. Because say, say more. that's the Navy. That's that's when that's when the war, that's when the Navy really got involved. You know, right. we talk about the Revolutionary War, which the Navy was brand new, a bunch of dudes stealing shit from other people. Uh, but they wasn't like they are. It is now. It's totally night and day. You don't get... You know, and Revolutionary War, we're, I think French helped us out with their Navy. Yes. Uh, yep. Big so supplement. A lot of, yeah, the French. And uh, a, a lot of a lot of stuff that, that's similar today didn't happen until after the War of 1812 and after. Right on. So uh, we won our first battle at sea in 1779, uh, an American naval squadron under the command of John Paul Jones. Oh, yeah. Took the fight to Great Britain. Uh, and this is a, a quote from MPS.gov. Uh, it says, quote, In a celebrated battle, Jones at the helm of the Bon Home Richard engaged and defeated the British warship HMS Serapis off the English coast. During the battle, when asked by the British captain if he were prepared to surrender, Jones replied with the immortal words, quote, I have not yet begun to fight, to fight. end quote. Yeah. Yep. So that's yeah, so where uh, I thought that was kind of cool, and that was our first big fight or, or our first big win yeah. anyway for the navy and it happened on the other side of the ocean so what what the hell were we doing over there like why, like, why was he there like i have i don't know <laughs> got me i just know he was a badass yeah <laughs> there, there's some balls there because like i have yeah i mean you're you're so far from home there's no chance and you're going up against uh, a legit navy that was that, that's that's been around for a while 
Um, right. So the Navy was then bolstered, as you said, by the French. Uh, we think about Chesapeake Bay where, yep. you know, they cut the Brits off and it was over. That ended the war. Yep. That was, that was yep. done. And, and they were able to, to help us kind of shut stuff off, which was great. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, but then, <laughs> funny thing, is the Navy goes away. Yeah. So mm-hmm. after they signed the Treaty of Paris in 1783, they start decommissioning. And the Navy is no more by 1785. Right. Which, and that, that, that story is similar to the Army. Uh, really? They built an Army, and then they let it go. And then they would bring them back, you know, so it's like this, this constant, like, influx of volunteers. And then folks, you know, at the end, they would send them home. And you saw that all the way through World War I. Uh, it wasn't right. until World War II where we legit put in a, a hardcore number and said, we're going to have a standing army of this size constantly. You know, yeah. the officers well, always stayed. Uh, yeah, yeah sorry, I think a lot of that might have to be like, uh, well, back in the day, we didn't know any better brand new country, you know, uh, still filling things out. I think it was more as needed thing, mm-hmm. uh, like the Navy and the Army, as you said. So I'm thinking you're talking about World War One is when we started really having a steady military all you know always around and i think that became when we became start becoming that superpower yep. or that formidable opponent we kind of had to you know watch our six at all times yes absolutely so uh, you guys mentioned pirates it, it was funny uh pirates were actually one of the main causes that the navy came back and became a permanent fixture so the naval act of 1794 signed by general washington or president washington at that time uh, this was to create a total of six ships. So our Navy was going to consist of six boats. And uh, it became an issue. People like the, the legislative branch were having major drama with having a standing Navy of six boats. Fucking six. Like it wasn't six. Yeah. Not a hundred boats. It was six. Right. And was folks six. were freaking out because of the money. Yeah. So they actually stopped after three. And that was the Constellation the Constitution, and the the United States. That's the name of the three boats. Uh, and then it wasn't until France started acting a fool, and we went to the, what was it, the, oh, what was the name of the war? The war oh, that the, almost uh, was, or the, it was like the shortest war ever. Yeah, I can't remember. Oh, shit. Somebody's going to get me for that one. Yeah, I'm having a brain. Yeah, so 1790, <laughs> 1798, they they finished the last three, and it's the uh, the president, the Congress, and the Chesapeake are now constructed, and we have our our first like standing navy, and it's there and it's forever. So I thought uh, six boats, and how how many boats are we at to now? Uh, I don't even know anymore. It changes a lot, but you know you got to think. You think about Norfolk and San Diego; they have tons just in those two fleet concentration areas and you, you know they have a ton of sh- ton ton of boats and then you got the ones overseas japan uh you got a couple in italy you got some in uh spain i mean they're everywhere mm-hmm. hundreds I, I couldn't give you a oh yeah no, uh, i think it's more than that more than, it's, it's like, more than 100 I wanna, yeah i want to say 271 i don't know why yeah, that numbers in yeah. my head but <laughs> that's, that's a very specific guess <laughs> <laughs> i've been in nsw for the last few years so i haven't really kept up with it but uh it, it's a it's a metric ass ton. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, because they're they're rather yeah. heavy things. Yeah. Yeah, they're gotcha. big and gray. <laughs> Quite a bit. More than six. More than six. Yeah. <laughs> so after we formed a a you know permanently standing navy, right? The first victory of that navy comes around on July seventh of seventeen ninety eight 
when the mm-hmm. uh, USS Delaware captures the French privateer Le Croyable. I don't speak French. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a weird name. Uh, and the first victory over an enemy warship was on February 9th in 1799 when the frigate Constellation captures the French frigate Le Insurgent. That's close enough. I, I think so. Insurgent. Maybe it's urgent. Insurgent. Insurgente. I don't know. There's a little. It's insurgent. There's a little French like accent. a chicken mark over the e. So I think you gotta say. <laughs> I think that's where you say a in those things. I don't know. Somebody who speaks French, help me out here. I'm good. I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say Creole. Right. That, that's a that's a thing yeah. for you. Yeah. Isn't that like French? I don't know. Yeah. I never learned it. He's not Creole. He's Cajun. <laughs> yeah, French Cajun. It's different. <laughs> Oh, you talk about the War of 1812, and we're, we're kind of moving along at a, at a pretty quick clip here. Um, right. It was it, the War of 1812 drove the need for uh, or, or exposed the need for leadership. Yes. And there was a, there was a leadership void. And it took it took a little while after that. But by 1845, the secretary of the Navy, George Bancroft, decided we needed a school to teach officers in the Navy. And the Naval School, founded at Annapolis, Maryland, came to be. In 1850, it became known as the U.S. Naval Academy. Dun, dun, dun. Gorgeous place. Have you been there? I haven't. No. It's beautiful. We've never been invited. Nobody ever invited me. (laughs) You have to have an invite? You can't just like go. I don't know. No. no, I I imagine. I've never been. gates are made of gold. They're made of gold and... (laughs) And then when you when you go through the gates, the clouds open. Yeah. The clouds raise and get out the way and you hear a hallelujah. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> totally opposite of the military academy. Yeah. The army one, the, <laughs> the, the gates open and then you hear voices inside going, run. So. <laughs> right on. So that we're we're kind of in the, the 1850 range. We did a, a super fast overview from from birth to you know, to, to where we are, like Civil War frame. And, and looking at the history during the Civil War, there really wasn't much going on because, you know, the South built some boats and the North built some boats and yeah. then the North winds and the North took all the South boats and then we have the Navy after the Civil War. So that right, was, it's right. kind of a weird story there. Uh, you did see the Ironsides come out at that point in time during the Civil War. That was a big development for, for yes. the Navy and that kind of started the whole construction of, you know, metal boats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that leads to uh, a more modernization as we move on. So do we do we need more whiskey? I think yes. We do. Is it time? I'm All right, excellent. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to refresh our glasses, and then we are going to continue talking about the history of the Navy. We'll be back in just a sec. <laughs> All right, welcome back. We are moving on to whiskey number two, which is also a red breast variant. Now, this is the Lustau edition. It uh, it is finished in sherry oak casks, so we have some some sherry influence here on top of the the normal red breast stuff. Proof is going up just a little bit. It's forty six percent ABV or ninety two proof. Not not too bad. Is it more florally? Yes. Ah. Uh, oh, look at you. It I is. 
I was gonna say that, but I didn't want to steal your thunder, Jay. No, you didn't. Oh, <laughs> that's good. It's all good. We seems good. Period. I don't think he even has a palate. I think he just says everything's good. <laughs> it's good. He says Easy we're going. Please. We're going. It is. Uh, it's significantly drier than uh, than the the twelve year. Yeah. It's a little. I'm not sure I would call it buttery though. No. It's not. Last one was a little, little more butter. I would say clean, but yeah, I'm, yeah, definitely hmm. clean. Maybe the dry to me is what I say clean. <laughs> Just has that that uh I don't know that that wine. I mean that's the sherry kind of coming through. Just on the the back side there, just kind of finishes weird. So what kind of barrels you said was in here? Aged in sherry. It's finished in oh, sherry okay. cast. Sherry. Okay. Yeah. So real quick, still good though. before before we go into uh, post Civil War, I just want to talk real quick about uh, the Constitution, if if I may. Yeah. So you know that's the oldest commissioned ship in the Navy. Did y'all? I don't know if you're aware of that. No. Say more. It's still in Massachusetts in uh, Boston, mm-hmm. uh, and it's an awesome thing to go visit. Uh, I know me and Jamie has both both been there. So anybody out there that likes history would love it. Yeah, she still sells. Yep. Um, we still have to board. Just as you would any other commission ship, you know, request permission to come aboard. It's not a museum or anything like that, although they do do tours and there's real sailors that are stationed there that dress in the old attire um, with the white shirts and the big puffy kind of sleeves and the, um, you know, tight tight pants. I don't know what what you call it. I I don't know. You know, but it's it's the old with the little neckerchief. Um, But those are their uniforms. They're ceremonial uniforms, and they give tours, and, and young sailors are there, and they mm. have to learn the whole history of the ship, and they'll they'll show you around and tell you stories, and that's their duty station. That's awesome. Um, so I have uh, I got to find some places to take my folks who are coming up here uh, next week, and uh, I didn't realize that that was here in Boston. So I will definitely have to swing them over and see if we can if we can get a tour of that. And I want to say, and I can't remember because it's been a year since I've been over there, but I want to say at 08 or something when they do the colors, they shoot, they they shoot, shoot the cannons. They shoot the cannons, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's still it's still a <coughs> functional ship. She still yeah. sails. Yeah, and uh, it's well worth, the. I don't know if there's a price of admission or not. I don't know. Because we, we were there for the Senior Enlisted Academy, so it was free free for us. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's an awesome gig. And when they give you the tour, it's, they're not reading from a script. These guys... And gals know it. Mm. They're speaking it like they're giving, like kind of like how you do your show. You just know it, right? Right. Research, studying, and uh, so there's a lot of work go work goes into these uh, sailors doing these uh, these tours. That's awesome. That's awesome. I uh, yeah. No, I'm I'm in. I got. I'll have to yeah. dig that up here and uh, and we'll have to get over there and check that out. I had no idea that it was here. That's that's so cool. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned it. Thank you. Yeah, it's awesome. It's an awesome gig. So I definitely yeah suggest checking it out. All right. So, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot that happens with the Navy between the Civil War and uh, World War II. Numerous battles, right? I don't want to say nothing happened, um, but uh, but when we, we look over the stuff, so I, I want to kind of, I hate to skip, but uh, we're going to kind of fast forward, I guess, a little bit into, into World War II. And this is where we see the Navy just go ham. Mm-hmm. And... I'm going to be real honest. My World War II timeline has been 
super off. Uh, I'm, I'm a paratrooper. I'm an army guy. So I think D-Day, I think Europe, I think, I know that there's a battle in the, you know, in the Pacific. I know there's a whole bunch of shit going on in Southeast Asia, but when and where and how that all happened uh, was really kind of uh, fuzzy, I, I'll say, in my mind. And uh, the Navy started World War II for, for America. Let me say that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Pearl we declared, yeah, Pearl Harbor kicked off. We declared war on Japan before yeah. we went after Hitler. Yes, yes, because of the attack on Pearl Harbor pissed off the president, and and uh, we it was game on. And you know we and the thing is that we work with the army with the Dewey. Yep. The, you know Dewey Brigade with his uh, planes off the carriers. Yeah. That was awesome. I just I saw I, I read about that. Uh, then I saw you know the movie, but I read about it first, and that I was like, "Holy cow, that's in innovative, terrifying!" Can you imagine? Can you imagine being the first guy? Hey, hit the throttle! <laughs> no, right? Yeah. Oh, and make Charles sure. You, yeah, make sure you have your life vest on because we don't yeah. know if this is gonna work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love how the decks of the carriers at that time they had the angle at the end, mm -hmm. and then it wasn't until I think the midway was the first one that had like a, a legit flat top. Right, deck, right. Uh, which I did. I have done a tour of the Midway because that's in San Diego, uh, and we did the the big, you know, because that is a museum now. And yes, you walk mm -hmm. through the top and see how freaking massive those things are. So and big. The Midway only had two catapults. Most carriers have four, and it still shot the hell out of a lot of planes. Shot off a lot of planes, boy. I tell you what, it was it was a moving boat. It was trucking. Right on. Yeah, those they, and and they had to be like so. I don't know. Um, the amount of bravery that it, it, it took oh, to, yeah. to get and then to land on them, like it, because the planes weren't, you know, just placed there, took off and that was it. Like, you know, you got to come back and land. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's something that fascinates me to this day. So I, I think, uh, you know, parachutes fly uh, similar to like gliders or, or a winged, you know what I mean? Uh, aircraft. And there are times I have a hard time putting it down uh, exactly where I want to. Now I have to think about if that target was on an unstable ocean and moving, <laughs> constantly moving right. forward. And uh, it blows my mind that these pilots are able to, to to put these planes down on a deck of a boat that's on a moving ocean that is it, itself moving at the same time. Right. Yeah. Well, there, you know, uh, the, the, the boat, the ship has to come to a certain, there's a certain course and winds wind speed it tries to maintain what during flight operations so but still though i'm not take away from the talent of these aviators it's it's mind-blowing what they do and watching them firsthand when i was on the carrier that it was crazy watching them come in and, sh and uh, uh land and uh, get and take off was incredible it looks violent is it, it is, is it as violent I, i've been as shot off looks? i've been shot off before uh on a on a logistic uh aircraft it's it's like a badass roller coaster ride for about four seconds <laughs> but at the every 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 plane when it takes off the uh carrier it actually drops a little bit before it pulls up i mean just slightly but you feel it when you're in the in the aircraft you you think you're going to crash i mean because it, it it's it's double when you're actually in it right you feel yeah you feel every foot so with with parachutes we call that the trap door effect yeah <laughs> right so you're you're falling and you you know, generally it's with tandems and you have that, the, you know, your drogue parachute out 
Well, when you release your drogue to open up your main parachute, there's that drop all of a sudden, and you're like, oh, shit. Uh, and then you have a parachute, and everything's fine. But, yeah, I, I right. can imagine it's – except way scarier because, I mean, it's You're not in control. No, you're, you're just strapped into a seat and hope to God it fucking works. I've never been trapped on one, but it's a controlled crash is what it is. I mean, it's, it is violent, like you said. It looks violent. I never – there, I've been heloed on, but never uh, took a trap in a in a, air, in a winged aircraft, fixed wing aircraft. So, World War II is is way too big uh, for us to really do justice to. Um, I, I kind of want to look at the Battle of Midway for a little bit because that was the big win, uh, you know, where we we really took it to Japan, and I'm going to back up though before we get to that. Right after Pearl Harbor. I think it was General Yamamoto who said uh, something along the lines of, you know, we we messed up. They knew yep. they made they made the mistake. They fucked up because uh, they ignited uh, passion and Americans went impassioned to, to do something or going to freaking go nuts. And, and we did. And we built a ton mm. of boats and we uh I, I'm going to have to come back to this topic. I, I'm going to have already. I know uh, I'm going to have to bring you guys back and talk more because oh, just, sure. just yeah, on world war two alone, uh, yeah. there was uh, so much that happens in the Pacific, but so midway, we kind of think about midway and they just did a, they recently did a movie on it. And I, uh, not knowing naval context, it seemed okay. Seemed, seemed mildly legit. Did you guys see it? I did. That was the last uh, World War II. It had Dennis Quaid in it. Yeah. As uh, Admiral Halsey. Yeah, I thought it was good. I liked it. And Woody Harrison was, uh, I think, Chester Nimitz, Admiral Nimitz. Mm-hmm. I, think I think so. Same one. Yeah. No, I thought I liked it. I, it's been so long since I've seen it, though. I, I can't remember the I don't details. Know, but, you know, as military members, I'm sure you do this too. We pick apart every single military movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uniforms, vernacular, everything is just. But I like any movie of that era because I thought that was the. I'm still saying I'm sure I'm not the only one. That's the, the greatest generation to ever lived. This, um, that era that fought in World War II, and anytime they do tribute or honor those guys, I'm yeah, I'm always a fan. Yeah, World War II brings out, and we're we're losing most of them, unfortunately. But it, uh, yeah. but there a lot of people I put in hero status. And there's not yeah. a lot of those, but a lot. You know what I mean? Like the the folks who went through. I got the opportunity to meet a, a few guys from. Uh, easy company the the guys that were in the the band of brothers thing that uh, yes yeah, so, yeah yeah so they were uh they came to a, we did a ball and they came they were the guests uh of honor at, at this ball that we had and these dudes are you know 80s 90s and they're outside smoking cigarettes and drinking beer and and just talking they, god they just just sharing and and that their their ability and, and love to share with other soldiers was fascinating so i'm sitting out there i'm just soaking up everything that they've they've got to give and they're talking about their you know their experiences compared to what they saw on you know the the yeah. tv show that was made about them they're like right. oh they almost got it right you know <laughs> it was that times it was, 10 it was close but yeah no right. that that was the generation of the true badass because like heath mentioned admiral halsey admiral nimitz those guys were salty admirals not to not any of the admirals we have in today's navy but they were salty just ingrained in the sea forged in the sea you know <laughs> um but those guys were were tough and yeah. they, they didn't uh shake they didn't quiver 
they you know stayed yeah. oh, the yeah. course. They, yeah, they were they were something else. And they they had to be, uh, because looking at some of uh, the battles and how they fought with you know you've got the 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 kamikaze you know dive bombers you've got just the the brutality of naval warfare once you added in aircraft you know that was the big difference between naval engagements prior to world war ii and then during world war ii was the addition of these these aircraft that can do uh you know before it was (laughs) i i would classify the battles as gentlemen's engagements because much like you know, we see the formations of the Revolutionary War and the right. Civil War. Yeah. They had to get the boats right next to each other and then just shoot the shit out of each other. Yeah, whichever right. yeah. whichever boat didn't sink was the winner. You know what I mean? Right, right. I'm sure there's yeah. more. Yeah. There's way more tactics to it than right. that, that I'm just ignorant right. on. But but that's what it 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 appeared to me. You know, and uh, again with the Revolutionary War, you know, they marched up to within feet of each other, fired one round, and whoever was left remaining. You know, okay, they got more, they win. You know, and um, so this the big change in World War II. Now you're adding planes that have you know massive guns, additional bombs, and and all these other things that can that can bring damage from a different direction. It's not just a lateral target anymore. Now you've got to go up, and you got to look to the sky and defend against the sky. And so the brutality and the violence that that occurred during these these battles was unreal and to put it into context a, a wide open ocean now I, i'm sure you guys have the experience of being out and seeing nothing <laughs> and and being yeah. out in the middle of the ocean uh, i've never had that experience you know i've been out in one of the great lakes where you can't see the shore but it's not the same um <laughs> you know uh that far away and knowing that you know there's all of these these enemies that are trying to literally blow up the only thing that's keeping you alive on the ocean. Right. And it's, it's crazy because, you know, and you talk about the great lakes, which is not that different, except you can be to a shore in a few hours. It might take a few weeks for when you're in the ocean. That's really the only difference. <laughs> I can get but, the coast guard there real quick on the great lakes. <laughs> not, not so much if we're in the middle of the Pacific. No, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, and that was the just the the grit, and you talked about them being uh, old and salty, which I love that term. So, does that term mean uh, in the Navy? So, for us, when we use that term, it's generally it's it's the salty old E sevens, uh, like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're just the the hard grumpy guys. So, does that term have a different meaning in the Navy than it does for us? I think that the the salty term when you mention that a sailor is salty it it means that they've served their time on the ship that they've um that they've got some some umph to them they've got some i can't think of the right word but they they just are a true sailor's sailor and that they've got the experience and the know-how and the leadership and they're just they're just a great sailor. Right, right. That's that's and if it doesn't matter who they're talking to, they're talking to a E four or the CO, if they're gonna say the same thing. Maybe more respectful, obviously, with the CO, but if something's cause a spade a spade. Mm-hmm. They're just but they usually had the reputation to back it up, you know, not just talking out their ass. So so would you reserve that term for 
you know, you guys say sailors, like uh, I'm, I'm assuming that we say soldiers, right? So when we're talking right, about right. officers, we say officers, but when we say soldiers, we're talking about enlisted folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I take in officers too as sailors you because know, back uh, in that day, when you talk about Admiral Halsey, um, Chester Nimitz, those guys were sailors. Those, um, they hold that different they're held in a different regard, I think. And like I said, not to take away from today's admirals because they are um, great leaders and amazing mentors and they've learned and and they they lead the fleet like they should. But those guys were salty in a different way. Yeah, you got to think though, they were trailblazing. They were something new and they're they're like trailblazing for the future. So a lot of stuff, like, you know, your paperclip episode, right? Is that what it was called? Yeah. So you're talking about everybody's on the rush to get the A-bomb, right? You said if Hitler wasn't so damn crazy, he might have got it before us. Yes. So that everybody's rushing to get that next new thing, that next new innovation. So they had a they were trailblazer. And I think that that added a little more ump in their in their name, a little they a little more salt to their to their uniform because mm-hmm. they were the first to do certain things. You understand, you know, kind of get what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like Chester, Chester Nimitz, he wasn't the best, the best, uh, junior officer, but you know how great people rise to the occasion. He rose to the occasion, kind of like Hazi and those guys, he rose to the occasion. Mm -hmm. So that's what made those guys so great. In my opinion, we see that with a lot of military leaders and, and, uh, (laughs) that's something I've adopted in my career is, uh, I can't trust a leader who's never gotten in trouble. Uh, so when right, you, when right. you look back at the history of some of the the greatest military leaders that we have, um, you go back to their junior officer days, their days as a cadet or a midshipman, or you know um, they they sucked academically, they got in trouble all the time. General Sherman, we talked about him not too long ago. He was a reckless partier whose uniform was always gross, and he never had a fucking haircut. So like you yeah, know what I mean? Right, goes, right. goes on same, to be same. one of the the strongest leaders during the Civil War. And so Grant's Grant's like most trusted leader. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I totally appreciate that. And that kind of was something I, uh, if, if my boss didn't get in trouble, you know, or didn't have a, some trouble in their past, uh, it means they got around some shit and maybe they shouldn't be trusted. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. In looking through, uh, naval history and, uh, battles and whatnot, I, I had a hard time kind of finding definitive action between um, basically the end of World War II and then the start of uh, the Gulf War. And when the Gulf War kicked off, we we went in, uh, the Navy went in and was fire support raining yeah. down ungodly hell on on Iraq, which was incredible. I remember watching that as a kid, the, the news yeah. reports, sitting there with my mom. It was unbelievable um and that kind of seems to be their role up through current because we're not really engaging with near peers currently with our current engagements is is, would that be a fair statement that's fair i mean i mean we're working on it the navy's working on it um they're they know they know it's a real thing uh they need to get hot on but it's not like you're right it's not a big thing right now right uh and I, I almost think sometimes that, that, that we rely on our reputation because hmm. I mean, 
for a year. We're the bad, baddest Navy in the, in the world. The world's greatest. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of, and you think about countries that we had to compete with. You think about like the Persian Gulf area. I mean, they don't, they don't have, they have pirates, right? Right. They don't, they don't have a lot of, no, no, they don't do a lot, but you know, you know, there's these, there's, there's up and comers out there, you know, uh, China, yeah, you know. they, so China's been building up their fleet. Yeah. They do have more ships than us. Are they more powerful? I don't know. I, I don't know. know. Uh, I don't think so. If it's anything like our toys, it'll break in a you know couple days anyway. You know, so. <laughs> so. <laughs> well. <laughs> I should have said that. Was that too much? Oh. You can edit that. Oh yeah, no, no, I'm not editing it. But uh, but if this episode all of a sudden disappears from all the platforms. We know what happened. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there, there, there's always, when you're on top, there's always people that are looking to throw stones and to out and to outdo. Um, but our Navy is still evolving, you yep, know, still. and um, we're, we're strategically placed where we need to be, I think, in my opinion. And uh, our projection of power is always there. So, for example, when COVID, you know, kind of hindered a lot of people from deploying and all of that stuff, we were still there. Yeah. So um, we're, we're still an expeditionary force. We're still showing, hey, we're here just off your coast. Come get us if you need to or if you want yeah. to, you know, and we'll show you what we're made of. But, but that's the projection of power that the Navy has always shown. Yeah, we're always there, always on the ready. Yeah, the projection of power. I like that term, Jamie. That's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're going to take a break. We've got one more whiskey to go. And uh, and then I'm going to turn the tables directly on you two. And uh, we're going to put you under the, the spotlight and ask some, some pretty intense questions. Uh-oh. I'm just kidding. Nothing, bring it, bring no, it no, over, boy. There is, there is <laughs> nothing intense about why whiskey. I'm telling you right now. All right. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Welcome to They're Terrified and Tipsy. So I'll start. Okay. My name is Courtney. Uh, I love long walks on the beach, Mm -hmm. white wine, and I absolutely love scary movies. And I'm Stephanie. I also love long walks on the beach. I love white wine, but I absolutely f-ing hate <laughs> scary movies. So Stephanie, mm-hmm. can I ask you a question? Please. Why in the hell would you want to watch scary movies and do a podcast on scary movies when you hate them? Oh, that's easy. Um, because you forced me. Mm, that's that's true. <laughs> but you know what? Hmm. There's wine. Yeah, so I'm basically only here for the wine. <laughs> lots and lots of wine. <laughs> We're going to need it. <laughs> well, since we have very different feelings about scary movies, we decided to share our emotional struggles with you all. Yeah, so grab a glass of wine, your mm-hmm. favorite couch blanket, and get comfy and enjoy the ride with us. Also, you can find their Terrified and Tipsy on Instagram and Twitter, plus all the podcast platforms. For links, head over to tipsypod.com. Cheers! Hey, friends, it's Ian. I want to ask for your support. Yes, I'm doing it. I'm that guy. So there's a couple different ways you can support the show. If you want to support the show for free... All I need you to do is hop over to iTunes or podchaser.com 
and drop me a review. These reviews help kind of bolster my ability to get out there and have more people see the show and come and enjoy the whiskey and history and shenanigans that we enjoy on a bi-weekly basis. Now, if you want to go a little bit deeper and you want to hand over a dollar or two, that would be awesome. I have started a page on buymeacoffee.com. So the link is in the show notes, www.buymeacoffee.com slash whiskey. You can make a donation of however big or however little you want. That's just going to help me buy coffee to stay awake, to keep writing, researching, and pushing this show out to you guys, looking for more guests, and just being an all-around freaking, you know, general kind of fun whatever. To those who choose to donate on Buy Me A Coffee, you will be sent a private link. A private link that will take you to the video vault of Why Whiskey. Yes, we record the videos. So you get to see me and a guest or just me sometimes, putting the show together, unedited, nothing. You get to see the flubs. You get to see just exactly how much I say um. You ever notice that? It's crazy. Anyway, two ways to support. Drop me a review or go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash whiskey and make a small donation to the show. Thanks. Cheers. All right, friends, welcome back. Before we go any further... We're going to whiskey. So, you guys ready? Are you poured and ready? Oh, we're ready. Okay. Oh, it smells strong. <laughs> this one smells strong. This is the lightest whiskey we are going to be drinking. This is a forty percent ABV or eighty proof. So actually going back down. This is Pendleton Directors Reserve twenty year old Canadian whiskey. This stuff is amazing. So it's made and aged in Canada. They send it to Oregon, to where Pendleton is located. They cut it with water from Mount Hood. And uh, this particular bottle, so they've got a bunch of different bottles that they offer, but this particular one is, there's this leather outer that's on the outside here that is made, uh, so every year that it comes out, there's a unique design that goes into the leather wrap that goes on it, and it's made by uh, a saddle maker like that works for wow. the company. So he stops making saddles for a little bit and then makes these leather wraps that go around That's the bottles. Cool. So this is the this is the 2018 version. I also picked up the the 2019 the other day. And the leather's different. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous stuff. So this should be the buttery bomb that Jamie was looking for. This you know, should I forgot should to be. open my mouth. When I said it smelled strong, you know how you smell it with your mouth open? Yep. I forgot to do that. You need to pretend it's me in this mouth breathe. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's almost good. like butterscotch. It is. It's like exactly like butterscotch. You pour that on ice cream. I like this whiskey. It's good, man. I like this whiskey. So, yeah, so they don't disclose their mash bill, but it's uh, a mixture. And Canadian whiskey is that weird one because Canadian whiskey, <laughs> like, like Canada, you know, there's not a lot of rules. So... Uh, they can call it this and then do this. And they also have the 9.09% rule, which means up to 9.09% of what's in the bottle doesn't necessarily have to be whiskey, which means they can add uh, coloring, they can add sugar, they can add like uh, whatever. So with with Canadian whiskeys, you're I, I'm always cautious because mm -hmm. uh, there's a ton of really wonderful Canadian whiskeys, but you always got to wonder like what... What am I getting into exactly? And unless 
they disclose exactly how they made it or what is made of, you're just you're rolling the dice. So like Crown Royal, good luck. Who knows what you're drinking? It's whiskey, <laughs> right. sure, but what kind of whiskey? And they they can blend different types of whiskeys all together and not have to not have to say anything uh, or put it on the label. So yeah, it's I I was nervous about this one, uh, but as soon as as soon as I went in on it, it was great. And this was this was a, a gift from some parents of a, of a cadet of mine on the team and they said it was good. So I was like, all right, I'll take your word for it. And I went in, I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, this is, this is good. Stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, like I said, pour it on ice cream. It's, it's, it's very butterscotch. It's good. It's a lot better than the Canadian, uh, Canadian whiskey I'm used to drinking. It's called Canadian mist. <laughs> I think you can get it for seven bucks at any Chevron in Louisiana. Yeah, man, just just go just go military special with that. Like you know, mm-hmm, you, you can't go wrong mm-hmm. with that stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's made at the special. the Barton Distillery. Yeah, it's like three years that's old. Good stuff. So. <laughs> All right, friends. So now, I want to talk about you guys. So we're gonna bring it into today. We're gonna talk about uh, the Navy today, and we're gonna kind of tailor that to your experiences. So we talked about naval jargon, right? Uh, so before we get into uh, my questions for you guys: Educate us on what it means. What is what is a fleet? Well, you know, we're built. We're I'll, I'll use the United States. We we have fleets depending on which coast you're on. Third fleet for the West Coast. I think second fleet for the East Coast. It's just the areas concentration areas of the Navy. Okay. Uh, seventh fleet is like Far East, Japan, Asia. Fifth fleet, Bahrain, Persian Gulf different geographic locations okay six fleet europe mm-hmm. so that kind of sounds Ten, like our divisions probably almost. similar to that um uh, like where do you call your army guys stationed in asia the uh, uh patcom uh the pacific command that's what we do nsw is big on that they call it paycom right okay pacific command they call it centcom for central command for uh you know the fifth fleet bahrain bahrain's headquarters you know and they have different names for it. NSW kind of goes more to y'all's lingo. Yeah, than to, they're more ground. They're, more, they're ground. They're expeditionary mm-hmm. ground type. And that's why, like, a lot of their stuff, I didn't get their lingo at first because a lot of that stuff is is something that kind of how y'all talk or how the Marines talk and a little bit of Navy in there. So <laughs> I was lost. 20, 20 plus years in the Navy when I got there. And I didn't, I, had, I looked at, they had a book of acronyms. For NSW. That's Naval Special Warfare. Yeah, Naval Special. Yeah, so you're Seal Swicks, those guys. Mm -hmm. But I had to read, I I reviewed the book. Some guy let me use it. So, because I got there the first month, I didn't know, I was sitting in meetings, I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. (laughs) It's Greek. Those are the worst. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I was like, yeah, I just listened and shut up so it would be over quicker. So, in in a fleet, right? Uh, And um, I'm not sure, you know, OPSEC, whatever stuff, you know what I mean? Uh, are there multiple carriers within a fleet? Because those yes. a, a carrier is like a a battle group, right? So the carrier is the mothership. Okay. So the carrier is the most protected asset in the navy, the most guarded, and then they fly or they they sail with battle groups. Yeah. Um, and so you'll have some. It is called a carrier battle group. Yeah, yeah. you'll have some LH. LHDAs with them, you know. What are those? Uh, those are those are smaller boats that kind of sail out 
to the side of the carrier and they have kilos on them. Um, you've got some, what are the ones with the, the tomahawk You got missile? the DDGs, the destroyers. Yeah, the destroyers. Uh, got a missile destroyers. They have all the big weapons that you, you think about. All and the they'll have weapons. subs with them. So you'll have like like two subs, right? To, Usually. to scout yeah, that's, out. That's, Those that's, are the scouts. I haven't been in the real, uh, the fleet Navy in so long, but that's how it used to be. Yeah. If they change, mm -hmm. I, I'm not, I'm yeah, not aware so of it. So you have, you have your subs, your destroyers, your LHAs, and, and, and so they go as a battle. Okay. And so you don't fly alone. You don't sail alone. Okay. And so I think, uh, you know, how the army moves in like formations, right? So uh, when, because I mean, you're just a wide open ocean, there's no roads or boundaries or, you know what I mean? So, do you guys like do you drive the boats in formation? Is you know what I mean? Or is there, or is it just kind of like uh, we're going this direction? Just stay away from my wake, you know? It's predetermined. Okay. Uh, it's predetermined, and uh, not to correct you, I'm sorry, but you, you will do independent steaming sometimes mm -hmm. uh, for certain reasons. I've gone the ship. I've I've, I've been on ships where nobody was with us, okay. not the carrier. Yeah. Usually, usually not the carrier, especially if we're going leaving the United States. But uh, I've I've done a few here and there for independent steam is what they call it. But uh, yeah, the carrier's usually going to have some, especially if they're any chance of anything going down, they're going to have people with them, other ships with them. Okay. So y'all's rank structure um, it blows my mind. So <laughs> because it is a a weird combination of letters and numbers. Um, for us army, <laughs> us army knuckle draggers, we have one letter and one number, um, but you guys seem to have a, a conglomerate of things. So can you explain, uh, Jamie, so your rate, which is what I would be, I th would compare to like my MOS, what is, Correct. what is your rate? Like, can so you like, I, so the letters number combo and then like what your official job title is? I am an E6. I'm a petty officer first class. So you could call me a PO1, um, but also my rate, it used to be air traffic control, which AC stands for air traffic control first class, so AC1, um, but I just cross-rated to Navy career counselor, so now I am NC1, Jamie Brick. So like, if you're a first class, so one, right? First one. So. Yep. Navy career counselor NC is the abbreviation. So you have to Google, you, you just have to know that, right? Just by experience. Right. So NC number one, if she was a second class, a NC PO, two. NC two, third class, NC three. Right. So, so it four. used to be AC one or, or sometimes like you'll see PO one, uh, which just means petty officer first class, which is just our, our rank, not our right combined. Okay. So, but the, so if you were an NC three, would you then be an E8? Mm -mm. Uh, that's an e E4. E4. I'll, I'll explain the, the... Three, two, one. We go up. Okay. <laughs> I, I'll explain the chief and senior chief. He's 78 to you. So when you make chief, you go to... When, when she makes chief, she'll be an NCC, a chief Navy career counselor. Okay. They, it's like they, they go backwards. The chief is at the end. Uh -huh. You say it first though, right? So like me, I'm an ETCS. I'm a senior chief electronics technician. So... You said it, e e t c s. So yeah, uh, electronic technician, chief senior. No, you used to, yeah, that's yeah, how you but, would read so it. That, right, but it's right. it's senior chief. Yeah, senior chief, electronics technician. You read the the c s backwards. 
Because we're... Uh, why backwards? Like, why do they do this? I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not... I, I didn't... Well, <laughs> I don't know. I like the way that um, Master Chief from, from Six Fleet, uh, Master Chief Gonzalez put it. He said, I am a... Um, my right first, a chief second, or... No, I'm a chief. I'm a chief first. No, he said he was... He was from the bottom up. Oh, yeah, yeah. His yeah. right first, so he remembered where he came from. Oh, okay, yeah. A chief second, senior chief, and then a master chief. So he remembers where he came from. And so that's why he said it was backwards. Right. I like that. That is a good explanation, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so senior chief is E8, master chief is E9? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. I, I think <laughs> I have a grasp on this. I'm just going to go test myself here in a little bit and see if I, I actually got it. So within the boat, right, uh, is there, I mean, obviously different jobs, different areas. Um, it, are there better places on the boat? Like if you're, if you're a shit bag, you're working uh, over here. But if you're, if you're a stellar performer, you're working over here. Is it, it's not. I think it depends on your rate. It depends on your job. We say okay. choose your rate, choose your fate. So, if you choose a rate that is in the sun all the time, you're in the sun all the time. If you choose a rate that's in the air conditioner, you're in the air conditioner. So Right, exactly. So if you're like a, a aviation uh, type and we're out in the Persian Gulf, you're going to be up on the flight deck, you know, slinging, slinging, slinging 10, right? You're up there in 150 degrees weather. You know, it's hotter than hell. You're passing out from the heat. But me, I'm an electronics technician. I work on electronics, which has to stay cool. So I'm in the air conditioner. Unless you're an uh, air traffic controller in which you're pushing tin. From yeah, the but you're pushing it from the radar, which is in the air conditioner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of it's like, or if you're an engineering type, you're down the bilges, you're sweating your ass off. Mm-hmm. Poor guys down there are humping. You know, it's hotter than hell down there too. So so it's kind of choose your rate, choose your fate kind of deal when it comes to where you work. Did you guys have uh, the option to choose when you came in? I did. I didn't know anything about the Navy when I came in and I was like, what's the fastest thing that gets me out of here? And they were like, undesignated seaman. I was like, cool, I'll take that. <laughs> what you, ta- you tell me what that is? Well, well, back in my day, <laughs> back in my day, I said I would never say that, but 16 <laughs> years ago, um, undesignated seaman was not what it is today. So we actually have an apprenticeship program that's really good and, and they, they show you all the rates. But back in that day, it was just chip and paint and doing all of the kind of grunt work. And you were lucky to get to work with a different rate and, and strike for that rate or try to become that rate. Um, so once I found that out, I was like, eh, I'll take something else, anything. And, you know, people drop out in boot camp all the time. So those rates become available. Um, and they said, do you want to be an air traffic controller? And I thought I was going to be waving flags. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'll do that. That's fine. <laughs> totally not what you'd be doing. Not but... <laughs> what I do or did. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, when I was coming in, I, the recruiter said, well, won't you be an ET? I said, what's that? They're like, well, it's electronics, and it says here you work in air-conditioned spaces. I was like, sign me up. I'm there. I want to be an ET. <laughs> and they asked me if I wanted to be a nuke because we have nuclear people, right? Yeah. You know, and I was like, hell no. I'm from Louisiana. I was like, I don't want to grow a third arm. They can keep that shit. I'll be an ET. <laughs> <laughs> you could have made so much money. <laughs> keep, you can keep that shit. <laughs> I will forego the extra thousands of dollars a month yeah, in lieu of. I'll, I'll, 
how far go the you know do six years in the Navy and make hundreds of thousand dollars a year when you get out without a degree? You know? Right. <laughs> that's but that's a series I, of bad decisions I've made. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we all make those decisions along our journey. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's uh, yeah. yeah. Well, for me it was hey, do you want to you know jump out of airplanes and you know you're working with parachutes all day? It's super cool. I'm like yeah, that sounds awesome. They got me. They got me so good. <laughs> oh, they got me so good. But no, I, uh, but looking back, I wouldn't have done anything else. It was, right, right. It was absolutely good. perfect. Uh, so, okay, Heath, uh, almost a quarter century of service. Yeah, over, actually. Over a quarter century of service. Okay, so you're 26 years now? I'm 25 and some change. Okay, perfect. So give me three of the biggest changes that you have seen in the Navy over the last 25 years? Don't ask, don't tell. Transgender, and they were huge. And I'd say I'm for it or against it. I just, that's the biggest changes that I've seen. And, uh, oh, can I think on that for a second, Ian, and get back to you? Sure, yeah, sure. Sorry, I, that third one's kicking my ass. Yeah, I, so, and it could be the anything, whiskey. like uniform changes. Um, oh, yeah, You know, right. discipline uh, standards. I never thought... I never thought we'd be wearing uniforms that looked like the army. Me neither. We're wearing we're wearing green uniforms now. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, the uniform, the last uniform change. Yeah, yeah. Have you you guys huge. have moved away from the digital, like that navy, the the super dark blue digital uniform? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, they realized that that did blend in with the water. Uh, so. <laughs> After years, no of trials. shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. that was one of the funniest things when we were in Afghanistan and, and you look over and here's a dude in ACUs. Yeah. You're like, where are you going to hide? <laughs> like, right, I mean, right. We're going to get in that puddle right there and we're going to blend right in. But right. You, the, you, the, you, the puddle's brown. The uniforms are gray. <laughs> what are we doing? Like, <laughs> but you know, Ian, if, if you talk to somebody that came in 10 years before me, they would say females on ships. Hmm. Well, you also saw females on subs. Oh, yeah. That's true, too. That's, that's new. Yeah, that's new. That's true. There's a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, females are on subs. That, when did when that, did that change? A few years ago. About four or five years ago. Yeah, something like that. Females um, being able to be in special warfare, which we haven't had one yet, um, but we we've we've come close. But they can become seals, uh, swig, maybe um, any of the special warfare rates, um, which the standard didn't change. It's still the same. Um, but females are allowed. When when I joined, and this was in 2005, I asked, am I going to go to combat? And the recruiters were like, no, the Navy's not ready to see its daughters die. Um, but now you can do anything. Yeah, it's all good. I, I think that may have been across the, the spectrum because I think it was about three years ago now where we saw uh, the first females commission as infantry officers. Oh wow! Uh, out of the academy, that was that was pretty amazing. Uh, and then obviously the first uh, first females to go through ranger school uh, and succeed. Wow. That was yeah, that that was a big change. And I, I bet you it was right around that along that same timeline where they opened up combat MOSs in the army to females where they weren't allowed before. So was, that that's why I was asking if the the timeline, what the timeline was, to see if it was about the same. So we had a big conversation with. Uh, senior level leaders about uh, the integration of, of women into into these jobs. And for us, <laughs> I, I could say nobody really gave a shit, you know, uh, as long as, you know, the, 
as long as they they do their job and they perform we don't really care was was that the same sentiment in the I navy think so i think um it, because the standard doesn't shift when it comes to those types of jobs like special warfare um if a woman can do that and get through that training then she deserves to be there just as well as any other guy you know Hell yeah. um and and a lot of times, you know, for a regular Navy, uh, our run times are slower, push-ups are less, that sort of stuff. Um, but when it comes to those specific jobs to where you have to perform or you have to have that that special set of skills, um, the standard's still there. So if, if she makes it through, everybody's like, hell yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with, with you, Jamie. I think most of the people are on board with it. I mean, you have your dickheads no matter – where you're at right you can't help that but and i think most of the people even if they had something to say about it, they kept it to themselves there were no i didn't notice a lot of vocal mm-hmm. disagreement whether you know if there was it was privately kept secret but for the most part i think it was accepting and i agree if they can do it do it i mean go go for it oh yeah yeah i was i was excited to see it you know i i think we have yet to test it and this, uh, in as far as like uh, combat, actual combat situations go, and to see how how that actually pans out, because I know there's a lot of concern about, you know, uh, the male protective instincts to you know, to huddle around and and I I don't know if that's a thing, uh, you know, and I, I I'm anxious to see uh, and lo- would love to see uh, a totally uh, diverse in you know not just race and creed but also in gender as well uh fighting force Mm -hmm. going forward i think that you know that's pretty awesome so jamie talk to me about being an air traffic controller on a boat i've never been on a boat so i couldn't talk to you about that all right so let's so let's so talk to me about being an air traffic controller so air traffic control is um i was at a training air wing and it is the most um I guess chaos in the sky you've ever seen because these are training pilots who don't know anything about anything and they're out there flying these big metal planes and you've got to fit them in this tiny airspace you know three miles or so and um you can tell them to turn right they may turn left who knows but (laughs) so the, the funny thing about air traffic control is everyone's like, oh, it's so stressful. And there's statistics out there that say an air traffic controller is responsible for more lives in one shift than a surgeon is their whole career. Um, but at some point, you get so good at the job, you, you kind of don't really think about that. And the stress, I, I would say, subsides once you unplug. So you, you get in there and maybe like a 90-10, 90% of the time you're, you're pool and you're doing your job. And then about 10% of the time you're like, oh, shit, <laughs> I got to get all these guys in and, and control them and, and keep them separated. But um, that's a whole different stress than what I'm in today. So uh, now that I'm recruiting, that stress never leaves. So it's a completely different type of stress, I would say. Have you ever called in or has anybody ever called in an emergency while you've been on shift? Yes. And so I I know you could hear how monotone my voice is. It never changed. So you're like, emergency, emergency, emergency. This is a control tower with an emergency. 
you know, blah, 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 has crashed and on runway one three and it, it, it stays the same monotone voice the entire time. And, um, but I've had, a, I've had one incident where um, the pilots, again, training pilots forgot to put the wheels down, came in for a landing and just crashed skidded across the runway um how is that a thing yeah well we say check wheels down as a reminder they just forgot (laughs) (laughs) okay so we gotta talk about that for just a sec because that (laughs) as a pilot i feel as though that's a mistake you're not allowed to make because (laughs) well they're training so (laughs) they they thought they put the wheels down we said check wheels down they said wheels are down <laughs> and then uh they just zipped right you know funny thing is they you know skidded on their belly and just kind of went off to the side so they were completely fine um but my coworker, he when he told the main control tower um you know that we had a crash he said they went belly up when he meant that they slid on their belly up, they went on their oh, no. like, oh. They're on their heads. <laughs> no, oh. Yeah. I can just imagine that conversation at once the plane stops moving and they're sitting there and they're going, We are so fucked. Oh my God. <laughs> so much trouble. <laughs> well, I, I, I got something. I was uh I was on base. Uh I worked in an air station, so I worked with air traffic controllers. They break it, I fixed it, right? So so I guess this plane was coming in and they dropped their wheels down and they actually dropped. The, the wheels. wheels fell out and hit the deck. <laughs> so they had to pull back up. And what they know when they're ready for it, they'll usually burn fuel off before yeah. they land. Mm-hmm. So they burned, they, they flew around back and forth until they burned enough fuel. Then they came in and belly land. But yeah. So, the- but, <laughs> but that's justified, right? So that's, yeah, that's right. A, right. That's okay. Right. You know, I, I hear that story and I'm like, oh yeah, a mechanical failure, no big deal. It's not yeah. you forgot to fucking do the one thing that puts you on the ground safely. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. You have yeah, one right. job, yeah. put the goddamn wheels down. That's, that's... I don't think that the I mean, I'm sure the student in the front seat was was panicking, you know, as students do, but I bet that instructor behind him was panicking a whole lot more. Yeah, right. Because like, <laughs> he was flying on his ticket. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, you dumb bastard. <laughs> As as a free fall instructor, uh, there have been a lot of times where you know you get to the ground and I mean, they legit almost killed both of us. And but you you don't ever say that. You just walk up to them no. with a little smile and you're like, "All right, so what did we do wrong?" Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm glad I'm I've going. Had, you know, speaking of, I'm sure you've heard this being you know an air person, but there's the funniest stuff that happens on the radio all of the time. Oh, yeah. Like we had a book in the in the tower that we would write it down, but um, you know they have to report birds if there's birds anywhere because yeah. they could get in the engine. It's pod. Um, <laughs> and one time there was this plane and they were doing touch and goes and they uh, you know I was controlling them around and. They come in and do a touch and go and then go around in the pattern. Well, they did a touch and go and they were like, Tyler, there's a bird on the runway. And I was like, okay, can you report the size or whatever? It looked like a fucking ostrich. (laughs) 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 They got big ass birds down in South Texas. (laughs) I say, what was it like a egret or a freaking? I don't know. 
know. I didn't see it. Was it legit an ostrich? Out. I couldn't see it. I was like, there's an ostrich. So then I was like, caution, ostrich on the runway. <laughs> I know they had these. Did you report that of- legit? Yeah, <laughs> caution, clear, clear, touching toe, caution, ostrich. <laughs> well, a lot of times there's like, there's always the air, down in South Texas, the, the airfield is always next to somebody's damn farm. Mm-hmm. And usually if a cow's dead or something like that, they get the vultures. They got this damn bird. I forgot it. I think the name of it is called a para para, but it's, they call it the Mexican bald eagle. That is a damn big ass bird. It could have been one of those too. I see them all the time in South yeah, Texas. Maybe, you know, uh, we got the uh, bash, which is uh, the uh, I forget what it's, it's called. Something hazard, bird, air, animal, yeah, animal, something. Yeah, anyway, yeah. so these old boy, and this is in Texas. They go out there and they just shoot everything: the <laughs> the javelinas, the birds, the rabbits, anything that goes near the runway. They shoot it, skin it, eat it. Well, <laughs> I went, I went to Africa, right? And it's like the wild west out there. And I was controlling and, uh, we had the same type of thing, but, Af- uh, but, uh, Jabushans would do this and they had, um, machine guns. And so, <laughs> so instead of like, you know, just the shotgun to fire down the bird or whatever, they machine guns were always going off. And this lion escaped one time and, <laughs> and they were sitting out there with the machine guns and we had to caution every bird that came down, <laughs> caution lion on her about to run away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be incredible. Like? That, that looks like a big fucking lion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of yellowish. It's, it's a big cat. It's a big fucking cat. Oh. All right, so uh, we are about to get uh, a report, allegedly, uh, about alien encounters. And uh, something that has been interesting for me in all of these reports about the aliens is that not only is it seeming to be that the aliens only want to mess with the United States of America, which I think is bullshit. Go mess with some other countries, please. Uh, But they also seem really inclined to mess with simply the Navy. So... Mm. Aliens and the Navy. There's a lot of association there. Please explain. I don't know much about it, but I know I know that the the thing with the there's a few stories you hear about with the ships and the planes seeing UFOs, but I, that's about all I know about it. Ian, I mean, I don't know a lot about the aliens in the Navy. I, that might have been before my time. Oh, this is like within the last year. Shit, I don't know. Yeah. I always so, thought it was the Air Force. The Air Force are kind of aliens, honestly. <laughs> so they're self-reporting? <laughs> yeah, they're self-reporting. No, I hadn't heard anything about the aliens. Yeah, I yes. haven't heard shit. What have you heard? So the the last couple videos that got released out of the Pentagon uh, were of the, from naval vessels. off The last, the most recent one, I think, was off the coast of uh, Virginia. And uh, these... UFOs are popping up out of the water, flying around and going back in the water and disappearing. Um, so there's supposed to be this big report that comes out here in the next week or so uh, detailing uh, encounters with other than earthly aircraft or vessels. So, And uh, it seems like a lot of the contact, a lot of the videos anyway, have been from either uh, naval ships or Navy pilots 
uh, out in the ocean. And so, I you know, uh, honestly, I would say with all of the drones that have come out nowadays, um, that could possibly be true that these naval ships, because you know we're we're testing drones constantly, um, unmanned aircraft, and I I feel like maybe that might be some sort of secret. I, I honestly think if there was ever going to be aliens, it'd be in the ocean. Because that's the only thing we haven't totally explored yet. Oh, hell yeah. On this world. Yeah. I mean, we only can go so deep, right? Yeah. If there was going to be extraterrestrial life, I would say it'd be in the deeps. I completely agree. Completely agree. And they may, so, have, they may have gotten here, you know, hundreds of years ago. Uh, and they've just been sitting, yeah, yeah, sitting in the we bottom of the ocean. Yep. Right. Right. And, uh, yeah, Battleship, I think, got it right. Seen the movie? Yep. <laughs> I have. I have. No, I'm, honestly, I didn't even know there was aliens out there. but Or that the Navy was reporting that. Yeah, it's weird. I, I haven't heard that either. But I can see that because I've always figured it'd be in the, in the deep. There was. And they're probably that's probably where Atlantis is. Yeah. And probably. all the sirens. The sirens that lure the sailors yes. to their death. Yes. Yeah. The. The dumb humans, the ones that crawled out of the oceans, are the ones that you know have evolved into what we are today. The super smart ones that <laughs> stayed stay in the down. ocean. They yeah. stayed down. <laughs> gotcha. All right, so I have a question that I want both of you to answer uh, as we're, we're getting close to, to wrapping this thing up here. Uh, individually, uh, I want to hear the story of why you joined the Navy. So uh, we're ladies first. Jamie. Give us your story why you joined the Navy. But before you start that, Heath, did you did you move on to number four? I did. I did. Excellent. I'm well, I'm no, no, I'm I'm coming with you. All right. It's so this is though. this is Widow Jane, Lucky Thirteen, uh, age thirteen years in American Oak, uh, cut with limestone water. This is coming in at forty five point five ABV, which is ninety one proof. This is a single barrel selection from the Bourbon Enthusiast. Thank it's you. Really, it's really good. Thank you, James. Really good. Okay, I'll try it. Oh, All right, Jamie. Okay, so the reason why I joined the Navy, you're going to laugh at this. Um, <laughs> I went to college and um, I majored in criminal justice, which is the worst possible major you can ever major in if you're <laughs> listening. <laughs> anyway, I uh, got my degree and I was like, here's my degree, hire me. And nobody was hiring. So my sister actually was talking to the Navy recruiter and on a whim, I was like, hey, let me talk to that guy. And he showed me this picture and, or this movie on a little tiny laptop. And it was like, let the bodies hit the floor, let the bodies <laughs> hit the floor. And there was like ships, ships sh sailing and planes flying. And I was like, sign me up, I'm in. And um funny thing I didn't know what I was signing up for and I was like but I don't want to be on a ship so um <laughs> he was like well you're joining the navy and I was like I don't it's even kind know of in I the do. title <laughs> yeah yeah so clueless me um and typical me just jumped feet first and so I was like all right well what what leaves the fastest Un undesignated seaman I'll take that and then they said, well, they said, you can have undesignated airmen or undesignated seamen. I said, I don't know nothing about airplanes, so I'll take seamen. And then that's when <laughs> I shipped off to boot camp in like a month. And um, 
didn't know how to stand at attention or anything and didn't really even know what I got myself into. Um, and they're yelling at me and, and I just didn't really understand what the military was about. My daddy was a Marine or is a Marine, I guess. Um, they never leave that, but he didn't really share that part with us. That was before we were born. So I truly had no clue what I was doing. And it wasn't like this. It, it's so funny because everyone always asks me because I love the Navy and I speak about the Navy and I'm all Navy. And they're like, oh, so why did you join? And they think it's like this wonderful story. And I'm like, I just, I just joined. Um, my sister joined, I joined. <laughs> There's no great wonder, wonder story behind it. So can I add something? Of course. So you remember how y'all kind of laughed at me when I didn't want to go nuke because I didn't want to grow an extra arm? Yeah. She joined the Navy and didn't want to go to sea. I didn't want to go to sea. <laughs> I didn't so know they saying, went to sea. That's, yeah. That, <laughs> just say it. Hey, listen, I'm from a one-horse town. Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? <laughs> There's no water. I mean, the beach is, is like an hour down the road, but, you know. I'm three hours from any kind of water. So. <laughs> Clueless. Clueless. <laughs> so so we joined the navy to not go on a boat or in the water all right Correct. got it because <laughs> she can't because she can't swim right because she grew up in texas yeah. right so you know swimming is part of our boot camp and all i can do is dog paddle so they push me off this 10 foot ledge <laughs> I sink down there and I'm kicking. I'm kicking with all my might. There's seals, like Navy seals in the water to make sure you don't drown. And I see them as I'm like kicking up. I'm kicking up and it seems like forever before I get Because it was forever. Before I get to the to the light. I can see the light and I'm just kicking my legs as, as hard as I can. And I get up there and I get ready to start dog paddling and they're like, swim with your your head underwater and I was like I can't breathe underwater <laughs> <laughs> so they were like turn on your back and just you know back uh backstroke to the you have to swim the whole length of the pool so I'm backstroking it's a big ass pool and I mean I'm backstroking as slow as can be people are swimming over me because I'm <laughs> in the way and they're like go around go around <laughs> I can't swim. Did you? It's in boot camp. If you don't do it right, you have to remediate. You got to get it right before you leave boot camp. Oh, I was going to get it right the first time. Oh, you got it right the first mm -hmm. time. Oh, I good. did. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was like, please don't make me do this again. I almost died. There's always four or five that have to redo it at the end. Yeah. Right before they can graduate boot camp. Oh my goodness. We do drown proofing in the army. Um, I, I'm sure nowhere near as extensive because the requirements to swim are significantly less. Um, because the opportunities for us to swim uh, during our job is significantly less than yours. <laughs> but uh, but drown proofing was always fun because we always had the folks that never swam. They never did anything. We I, I remember we had this one individual. Uh, they jumped in, and I was the rescue swimmer with another guy, and we thought for sure they'd be coming right back up to the surface. And we're just kind of looking at each other. We looked down, and we're like, they ain't coming up, so we both went down. <laughs> they literally just didn't do anything. They thought they were just going to float naturally. It was like, no, you got oh, to apply force here. So that was, oh, that was crazy. So You know, I, I have to tell you, I'm deathly afraid of heights. 
in. Oh, yeah. Me too. We have to jump off this 10-foot platform. So, you know, you're in a line and you got your arms crossed and, and you have to do a toothpick dive, you know, feet first. So it comes up to my turn. They're like, step, jump, step, jump, step, jump. And I don't jump. And that guy was like, jump, pushes me. <laughs> <laughs> or fall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Heath, why'd you join the Navy? Well, I thought the fastest way to get drunk in six of the seven continents would be joining the Navy. Now I'm joking. That's, that's not, fair. That's not, that's not why. No, that, that is I, a fair point. <laughs> I'm from Central Louisiana, and I like going on there, and I need I needed health insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't join right out of high school. I waited a year or two. I was almost 20 before I joined, and I did it for health insurance. I mean, that was it. And I ended yeah. up, you know, you, you never re-enlist for why you joined. You always right. re-enlist for a different reason from joining. And I re-enlist for other reasons. But the original uh, joining was I wanted to get the hell out of central Louisiana and do something, learn something, and get health insurance. Nice. Nice. I think that's a first. You hear all kinds of stories about people why they join the service, and and, and that's, a, that's a new one for me. Yeah. I like it. I like yeah, it. So That was actually – I had a baby, too. And my, my son, and he, uh, he got sick. And so that, that was why, and nobody was hiring me with the stupid degree I got. (laughs) And, uh, that was, that was, that was actually why I picked it. Right on. So here we are, uh, you know, Heath in your, your case, 25 years later, Jamie, 16 years later. Uh, so why podcasting? You go ahead. All right. Uh, so I'm a little, I'm on a, talk about Jamie she's done this before so she's done podcasts with the Savage Squad mm-hmm. uh, who's a podcast they they highlight well, military, outside, the uniform. outside the uniform with the Savage Squad they highlight military members outside the uniform what they can do besides you know defend their country and she said she was poised for this she's done things online a lot more than me I'm just that like you said that grumpy he's 78 freaking carrying on the mission and I don't do that stuff right that's not me so I don't know. I, I'm sure I'm preaching to choir. I got tired of turning on the damn news and seeing a bunch of bullshit every day. Got tired of looking at it. Hate, yeah. whatever. Whether you're for it or against it, whatever. I don't, I got tired of hearing it. And, and I was bitching to Jamie about it. Like, I'm just done. I don't even like turning on TV anymore. And then we were locked down due to HPCon, Charlie, you know, the Navy. We, we couldn't go to restaurants for, for almost a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were locked down to our house and, and essential stuff, right? So, Jamie came to me right after the, the first of the year and said, Hey, you want to do a podcast? And I said, yeah, why not? Cause I, I kind of got into her podcast. She was doing outside the uniform and I, I enjoyed listening to her. I said, I think I can do that. Maybe I'm, I'm, you know, I can talk to people. I'm good at talking. So we did it and it never looked back. That was my reason for doing it. And that's kind of how we did it together. Mm-hmm. We something to do besides going out to dinner because we couldn't, we couldn't go out and have a beer together. Everything had to be done inside the house. And right. why not? Hey, bring some positivity out of the negativity. Hell yeah. And, and I love what has transpired because of that. You guys have a phenomenal show Thank uh, you, man. that, that puts out just some great stuff. And uh, although Navy themed, uh, I think about your, I think you guys did a show on listing. Uh, you did a show on, 
Oh, ballasting. Uh, ballasting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and just just a lot of great stuff. And I'm I'm a, a a big mental health guy. So I when I I hear those somebody else talking about it, it makes me happy. And uh, that right. and amongst uh, all kinds of of other things that you guys go on. So uh, very well done. Uh, very very happy to see you two uh, going where you are now. Because a lot of your stuff is so Navy centric and you're very out front and open about being active duty military and, and active duty Navy folks, um, do you ever, has there ever been a concern about your content or have you ever uh, shied away from topics because you guys are so uh, out there as far as being members of the Navy? No, I would say that um, we have discussed should we talk about this topic and then the end result was if it's important to our sailors it's important that we get it out there and speak on it and that's why we kind of dubbed ourselves the sailor's voice because things that maybe the big navy's not ready to talk about things that our commands are not ready to talk about need to be addressed because they're in our ranks and mental health being one of them, extremism, um, you know, being one of them. And so we said, if it's important to the sailor, it's important to us. And so we are careful to address these topics so that we don't go one way or the other, but just talk openly and honestly about what's going on. Definitely. And I, I like you know, like we do, we work a lot with the scuttlebutt and they're like the non PC version of us. And I get why they're anonymous. I understand it. I understand it a hundred percent. But, but like I said, I, we we're careful how we talk, uh, careful how we, we, we bring up the subject. Cause it's not out of disrespect. It's out of letting people know what, you know, what's going on. And there's times I've like, damn it. Who's heard this? Am I going to, <laughs> shit about it you know it, it, i've thought about it you know but yeah. i don't think i'm wrong i, I mean I, I i i think we're the we're up we're respectful about it we don't we, we don't drag the navy down because we love the navy or we wouldn't be in it for 40 years combined mm. uh i got our respect for the navy and for all the military services and uh just i i, I think that we we have a chance to to educate sailors and, and we want we want the sailor's voice to be heard. Yes, definitely. And a lot of times, you know, in, in any military branch, it's like, oh, can I say this? Can I not say this? Well, our kind of focus is that, yes, say it. Use our platform um, so that we know what's going on on the deck plates. Because you can't just shut it off and it's not happening. It will still happen whether you talk about it or not. And so yeah. we want to amplify that voice. Right. And I want to know what the E3 is pissed off about. E4 is pissed mm -hmm. off about. I want to know. I, I, if they come on the show and say, look, I'm all right, man, chill. Mm -hmm. Sleep and chow. Man. Exactly. Yeah. They yeah. need a bed and, and that's, food. Right. And that's how we call it the smoke pit topics because on the Navy, on the ship, you, you're on the smoke pit. The smoke that's deck, your vent. That's your vent area. That's where yeah. a, lot of, a lot of magic happens on the smoke pit. <laughs> Right on. And and to kind of go into that a little bit deeper, uh, you're currently doing a mini series called To Hell with the Stigma. And this is uh this this 
transcends all the services, I think, because I think we're yes. all uh, we're all in that same boat. Uh, it's dealing specifically with mental health because mental health has had uh, has had a stigma attached to it, and it's had a a negative connotation um, for those who seek help. They're thought of or looked at as a risk or as damaged goods or, or something, and the worry of what it's going to look like to the command has prevented a lot of people from going and getting help. And uh, yes. you guys digging into that subject and bringing that to light and bringing some of the guests you have on for, for that series has been absolutely incredible. And it, it, it does, it really does. I, I'm repeating myself now, but that translates into your sister services and well, the things that you guys that. are talking about and the, and the issues that you guys are, are bringing to light for the Navy exist in in other branches as well i can only speak for one but it is definitely a thing here uh so i really appreciate that but i i have to wonder like what what drove you to to do that to start that series it was jamie uh she said you know it's mental health awareness month may well you know I'll, i guess i'll just be transparent here i've actually um recently started dealing with some of my issues stemming from my deployment um and it's been hard to talk about and I hadn't talked about it on our show. Um, but it was, it was understanding that, um, we all have, we see things that others don't see. We deal with things that others don't deal with and to be open and to go get help is not a career ender. And so we wanted to kind of let people know that because so many of us suffer in silence because we think it's weak we think i'm stronger than that we think that this isn't a mental health issue this is just me being blue i'll just fix it with alcohol or whatever it may be um and a lot of us are just dealing with what will the command say and and i dealt with that in my own life yeah, what will the yeah. command say? Uh, will they find out? And should I go get help? Or should I talk about this? Or maybe I can use um, an outside entity. And it was when I called the outside entity and I told them what was happening, which is a military one source. If you if you ever wanted to go outside of, of your healthcare provider and, and, and off the cuff, um, you know, you can Google them and, and they're a great resource. But it wasn't until they said, we can't help you that I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> I've got a problem and uh, I need to get help. And when I talked to when I talked to um, the doc about it, they were like, you know, you're no good to us or you're no good to anybody the way you are. So um, it's right to get help. And they don't want to end careers. That's the biggest thing. They do not want to stop your career. If you want to stay in, they, they will work with you. And um, that's one of the things that, that nobody talks about. So anyways, that's anyways. one of the things that nobody talks about. <laughs> yeah, I, I've used Military One Source. Uh, I, I was worried about going to uh, behavioral health. Uh, that's what we call it here in the Army. Because of yeah, we uh, do too. Because it's you know something that gets reported. So, uh, so I I sought out the MFLAC, the Military Family Life something counselor, um, which is a, a civilian counselor 
uh, totally off the record, totally off of everything, uh, and and got a, a ton of help from from her. Her name was Jasmina. She was incredible um, for for an extended period of time, and and that was awesome. Uh, so military one source, uh, you know, uh, was able to help me and and be there for me. So. But uh, there were resources available to you outside of the the one source, though, Jamie. Correct. Right. Yeah. Correct. So I did go to behavior health, and that was um, scary, so scary. It was like they were they said, "Hey, you know, you know, this gets reported in your your file, and and um, we're recording everything." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> what are you recording? What are you doing here? Yeah. You know, what are you, what are you, what are we talking about? What did I just do? You know?" And they were like. I remember, I'll never forget when I called there, they said, are you self-referring or command-referring? And I was like, what are you saying right now? Because this sounds bad. <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't know. Uh, military ones were said they couldn't help me, you know. And they were like, all right, self-referral, okay. <laughs> and, you know, and then when I talked to the therapist, she was like, you know, we we record this and yeah, it's in there and, but it's hard for your command to get to. And I was just like, what the heck? You know, it's like, what did I get myself into? Um, I just want to, you know, get past this because, you know, my mom, my mom passed away suddenly while I was on deployment and I, I went and buried her. Um, and then seven days later I was back in Africa. Jesus. And so that takes a toll on a person you know, and um, came back different. And plus whatever it was that we did over there, and it, you know, I don't want to go into detail because I'm still new at this. I'm not like a big talker yet, but <laughs> um, yeah, you know, there's a lot that, that military members deal with that we just don't open up about enough. Right, and, and I'm the same way, you know, after, after my stroke, I, uh, I was different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was paranoid about having another one. I was like, everything just annoyed the shit out of me. Like, like I needed to tell just somebody this hey, and for no reason. I wasn't, nobody was doing anything wrong. I just wanted to be like, Hey, just shut the hell up. I don't want to hear nothing. So <laughs> bitch, I almost I, died. I don't want to hear your shit. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I get it. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. And if two people were talking at the same time, it annoyed the shit out of me. It just was like, it's like here nails on chalkboard. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to see behavior health too. I just don't, I don't like living that way. Yeah. You know, and I'm a high strung some bitch as it is already by yeah. nature. We're both type A. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I'm already like, I was, I was at the level where I thought I was like un, unstoppable. And then I have a stroke, like snap of a finger for no good, damn good reason. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm this guy that's, that's walking with a limp now. Well, not now. I mean, it's gotten better. But at one time, I was dragging my right foot. And that, that, that played a, played a, the, all my psyche was devastated over that. Uh, it was a lot of things changed. I and I mean, it's getting better, but I'm still angry for no damn reason. And, and you know, uh, not violent, but just pissed off. Yeah. You yeah. know, for no damn reason. And uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go get help because uh, and a good friend of mine said, get help if you need to get help. And that's why me and Jamie came up with that name together, didn't we? 
Well, it was on one of our podcast episodes, and I forgot what we were talking about, but we were pleading with our listeners to get help. Get help. And we said to hell with the stigma. Yeah. And um, we were like, you know, the, this the stupid stigma holds us down, and, and it's keeping us from being 100%. It's keeping us from being happy. It's keeping us from being able to be happy with our children yeah. and yeah. to live our daily lives and you know screw that stigma like it it's time that we are able to operate at 100 percent. right so i because i don't want to i don't want to close out on a a somber note mm-hmm. um do you find and so uh, let me uh, context for the question right um uh, I, I've had obviously uh, challenges and struggles throughout 20 years of service, very similar to you guys, I'm sure. But when my time comes to punch the card, to pull the ejection handle, to freaking to to be done, right? Despite those things, those challenges, I'm gonna look back on my time of service with with pride, admiration, uh, and and a smile because there's was given an opportunity to do some pretty crazy shit. Do you guys do you guys share that sentiment? You know, so I know we're we're kind of talking about some some really heavy stuff right now. But uh, when you look back on the your time in service as a whole, do you feel you'll you'll look on that with a positive note? I, you know, I said this um, when I was getting ready to cross right, and I, I'll say it again: um, we get twenty years if we're lucky. Some people get more. But we get 20 years to make an impact on our branch of service, right? On our Navy, on our Army, on our country. Um, and that 20 years is super minuscule compared to your lifespan. Um, and so when I look back on my time, on my 16 years, and, and hopefully my 20 years, you know, Lord willing, or more, um, that is my sentiment. That is exactly I want to have said I was here. You know, this I made an impact on my Navy. I raised up sailors. I, you know, maybe one of them will be the next Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy or Fleet Admiral or whatever it may be. I want whoever I come into contact with to have made an impact on them to have said something to motivate them to encourage them so that they are that much better and they are that much stronger and and we only get 20 years to do that so that's my goal uh, i tell you what i will i look back with fond memories i tell you what i've been to some cool places been around the world and i've talked and met some of the greatest people in the world and and some of those i, ha- I was lucky enough to to help lead and and even luckier to be led by some of them people. And that never would have happened if I didn't join the US military, in my case, the Navy. And I've learned a lot and I think it's the skills you learn in the military that's gonna carry you on the rest of your life anyway. It's the motivation, it's the discipline that's gonna make you successful in anything you do after the military. So yeah, I will 100% best decision I ever made. I'm reminded that it reminds me of the the line from the movie Fury with uh, Brad Pitt, the tank. Have you guys seen that? Oh movie? yeah, yeah, yeah. When they're all sitting in the tank and they they're looking at each other, they're about to die. They know it, and they're like, "It's the best job I ever had." 
Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. That's going to wrap it up for us here at Why Whiskey for the Evening. I have been talking with Heath and Jamie Britt from the E14 podcast. We've been doing some some Navy history and then getting into their own personal history with the Navy. F- guys, thank you so much for coming out this evening and, and joining me. It was our pleasure, man. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Oh. Uh, and we're we're coming back again because I I have to dig more into World War II. I I've got to go there. Uh, and and I I did it no justice this evening, but uh, we'll but do will, it. we'll do it again. We'll all right, again. we'll come back. I'll uh, I'll send some more whiskey and we'll we'll do this thing again. So my friends, from all of us here at Y Whiskey, I'd like to thank you very much for coming out and listening. Uh, wish you the best of evenings. Cheers. hope you enjoyed today's episode and as always if you have any comments questions or would like to join me at the bar questionable life choices for an episode hit me up on email at whiskeyhistory at gmail.com cheers